As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in sportsman drag racing and the stars within it. Hey, guys. Big Jed here. Um, as you will hear shortly, this week's podcast was already recorded and ready to distribute uh, prior to us learning of uh, Sean Sarah's passing. Um, I don't think this will be a big surprise to anyone. Uh, if you're on social media at all, you're, you're seeing quite a bit of, uh, of activity about Sean. Um, very tragic loss to the racing community and just life in general. Um, I know Sean had an amazing uh, impact on people at the track and certainly people away from the track. And it's, uh, it's definitely something that, that we felt like we needed to discuss here on the show prior to you getting into the, to the normal podcast again, that was already recorded. Um, Sean passed away in a, in a fatal car accident and just an, a, a huge loss to racing. This was a talented young man, very talented, uh, had done a lot of winning on a very high level. And, you know, he, he did it all the right way. Sean was a very respected competitor. He was a, a loved competitor. Uh, everybody really liked Sean. I, I've seen quite a bit of social media coverage today about him and how even if he got the wind light against you he would he would seek out racers at times and tell them you know really good job that was a close race and just the kind of competitor that you want to go up against a solid 
but respectful and and he epitomized that and certainly um a young man that was taken way too soon from all of us um you know a guy that that was always smiling was always quiet just let his results do the talking and um you know might have got misjudged at times because he was a little bit quiet but this was a very genuine young man that it was loved throughout racing and certainly I'm sure through his friends that, that didn't uh, partake in the racing stuff, just, you know, friends in normal life. And I uh, definitely wanted to send our thoughts and prayers to the Sarah family. We all know Jeff and Craig and uh, Sean's girlfriend, just a tremendous loss for everybody that, knew him and everybody that loved him and uh, certainly going to be missed. And these things we're having to do way too often these days, but uh, definitely somebody that was that impactful in our lives. We definitely wanted to, to take a moment and mention it. So send your thoughts and prayers out to the Sarah family and all of the friends that Sean has left us left behind um, certainly way too early. So, Rest in peace, Sean. Welcome back, or welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast, where we sometimes discuss U.S. Olympic athletes, adult film stars, and sportsman drag racing. I am joined, as usual, by the one, the only, Big Jed, Jared Pennington. Big Jed, how are you, buddy? Luke, I'm well. I'm fresh off the WFC, man, and uh, what a week. Yeah, I'm tired. Run down. What a week in Bristol. That was amazing. And, you know, sometimes we do discuss all those things that you talked about, but I will have you know, Thomas Kleppen was in attendance at the WFC. And as it turns out, he is a sportsman drag racer, just like you said in the last, uh, last uh, competition or contest that we had. He is not an adult film star. So a uh, shout out to, to Thomas Kleppen. Did he remind you of this? He did. He did. It is. And, and Thomas, you know, I can say this because Thomas, Thomas got a mirror. Uh, he said it, but you know, it'd be, if Thomas was an adult film star, he might be a little difficult to, to watch. Just saying, I shouldn't have said that, but for some reason it came out. I apologize, Thomas. I love you, bro. Thanks for listening, Thomas. <laughs> All right. So we have a lot to unpack. We've got world foot break challenge. All right, we had two, Two of the biggest events of the season in their respective markets, if you will, uh, two destination races, if you will, your event, Big Jed, the World Foot Brake Challenge, Bristol, Tennessee, the SFG 500, Martin, Michigan. And I think uh, from afar, the perception of the success of those two events, dramatically different. Um, I don't know that perception is necessarily reality. That, that's what we unpack quite a bit in this show. Obviously, we put a shine on the winners, uh, multiple winners from both events, lots of racing uh, in Bristol, lots of racing in, in Martin. Um, I think some kind of broad takeaways is just to the the future of what big dollar bracket racing might might look like and, and what we can learn um, from this weekend specifically. And then like it, it wouldn't be complete if we didn't touch on the drama. There was a lot of drama coming out of Michigan. So we got really? a lot to unpack, right? Yeah, I, I hadn't heard anything, so that'll be interesting. I can't wait to hear about it, Luke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
It's going to be good stuff, man. It's, it is going to be a good show. Absolutely. Uh, we So drama, winners, shenanigans, and more. But first, PJ North. This here is that moment to go green, hit the tree and drive a stride. Just like All right, Jed. So the question becomes, is perception reality? Because I think it's fair to say that the perception from the outside, from those of us that weren't there, um, I don't know what your Facebook feed looks like, but, but for, from mine, the perception was that the SFG 500 was, for lack of a better term, a, a disaster. I'm not sure that that's entirely accurate, but I do think it's fair to say that's the perception. The perception and I believe the reality of the World Footbreak Challenge is that it was a home run. We'll obviously talk more on that as we go. I'll tell you this much, Big Jed. If you had told me 10 days ago that there would be more entries in Bristol than there would be in Martin, I would have laughed in your face. (laughs) I didn't see that coming. Yeah, likewise. Okay. And for all the obvious reasons, like, in this economy, I, I think it's fair to say should hit the 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 footbrake community harder. Like that is a more blue collar market, right? Uh, that Most proves definitely. not to be the case. And I think there's there's multiple reasons why. We'll explore some as we go along. But I, I that's the really the zoomed in version. Like if we broaden this, I don't think that it's a fair way to compare, or it's a I don't think it's a fair way to frame the discussion to compare specifically the world footbreak challenge and the SFG 500. Like, I I think when you step back from that a little bit, that's like comparing apples to fruit loops, right? Like it's, it's not fair to to either event. So what we're going to get into is some wide ranging topics to be sure. There's a lot to, uh, to, to, to unpack here over the weekend, but let's, let's start with the on-track action because I don't, I don't think it's fair to overshadow that. And let's start with your race world footbreak challenge, Bristol. Well, Luke, um, definitely agree with with those thoughts that you had, uh, and certainly from the outside looking in, the, the SFG 500 could have looked like a disaster. But everything I've seen, which hasn't been a whole lot now, but everything I've seen said it was a, a well-run event that that people were happy to be at, and you know the adjustments that were made that we'll talk about later were very well received. So I would say that event went off extremely well. As for the WFC, they exceeded my, not only my expectations, but honestly, it exceeded my hopes. Uh, I mean, I, I get asked every year, what you think the car count's going to be? And, I, you know, you, you asked me that prior to the event. And I felt like worst case, 325. Uh, best case, if everything went perfect, I thought we could get to 400. Which was our mark that we really wanted to get to just because, you know, we know how difficult it is to get 400 entries in times like this. So, yeah, I, I believe we set the the over under, maybe not officially, maybe not on the air, but especially given the forecast coming in, I think the over under was around 350 and you blew that out of, out of the water. Yeah, it was uh, it was really incredible. Um, you know, the the car counts were way better than I expected them to be, especially when the forecast uh, was not as favorable to the untrained eye, I will say, as uh, as it was to me. I, you know, I had a lot of calls. What are you going to do about 
rain if it happens and the answer is always the same um, we're going to let it stop or actually not even quite stop and jump out there and start drying it up and do what we got to do and get back to racing that's all you can do and that's why we're at bristol because they've got great equipment and all those other things that we need to do that so wait are you gonna you mean to tell me that when racers called you you didn't tell them that if it sprinkled friday morning you were going to send them back home <laughs> no no we had no plans of sending them home until Is, i mean we seriously like I, i'm not picking on it and, and i i can do this because i wasn't the one that answered the phone but what are you what do racers expect your response to be to that question well, so Luke, when, a, when an average person looks at a forecast and they see 50, 60, even 70% chance of rain, the thought immediately falls to what happens on Saturday night when that happens. And on Saturday night when it rains for an hour, the, the track owners, you know, beat up car count wise. They've, they've got two hours of drying and you've just limited yourself because it, you know, it starts about the time time trials got started good. You limit yourself on the ability to, to be able to get that cleaned up and back to action. So a racer immediately goes to, well, every time there's a 70% chance of rain, they call a race off. Well, that's not the case when you've already been racing for eight hours at five o'clock. So, you know, that's you're you're deep into the or deeper into the program and the track's hot and all those things and we got every piece of equipment known to man at bristol that would dry that up so the message there is don't never trust the forecast unless it's perfect of course that's when you can trust it but don't trust uh don't trust pop-up summertime showers those those things don't typically we've lost four days of racing in 16 years that's four a pretty days. good record that's a pretty good record especially given like you can attest to this more than I, but it seems like every time that I go to Bristol, the forecast never looks great. Like there's always a chance of rain in Bristol, right? Never looks great. There's always a chance of rain and sometimes it'll be 60%. And then, you know, one o'clock in the morning, they'll decide, you know what, it's not going to rain tomorrow. We're going to change that to 9%. And so you just never know. So never trust it. What's um, a, what's a, what's an easier job? meteorologist or podcast host because like we can be wrong a lot and don't really get a lot of repercussion either yeah but we're not guessing at a lot of stuff they seem to be guessing oh we're definitely guessing people's people's plans are dependent upon what they say you know and people's livelihood too luke i mean how do you just i mean why don't they just say it might or it might not we really don't know (laughs) and then let the the people just do for themselves and figure it out i don't know but it's got to be the hardest job ever to let's, let's circle back to promoter talk like who won who, who won the wfc 16 ohio uh, the whole <laughs> well, state of need to hear that the whole oh, state that, of that, ohio that ruins my bit jed <laughs> <laughs> ohio dominated the race luke uh it was uh it was definitely a lot of oh involved um in Thursday's Gamblers, it was uh, you know, normally a 3K. We moved it to a 5K just to say thank you because we knew we was going to have a decent crowd. So we made that announcement early, get there early, and have the, the you know, 5K for no additional money. And uh, Michael Beard got the win over Brad Pluard there, um, although Michael is not Ohioan uh, by birth, oh, I do not believe. Ohio lives, can't claim Beard. Come on. And they will claim him because he lives there. So, and I mean, yeah. if you live there, you need to be claimed by Ohio because that's got to be. 
fairly painful <laughs> to live in Ohio, but you know, either way, uh, he's claimed. So he got the win over Brad Pluer there. Uh, Friday was an all Ohio final. It was Edmund Ellison over Corey Griffith. Um, Oh, Edmund. see, Edmund lived. Didn't he live in Alabama for a while? He was Alabama, and we claimed yeah. him, and then he just decided he needed to go back. So he oh, I can't claim him. Uh, <laughs> got the win over Corey Griffith. Corey, uh, a multi-time winner at the WFC. Um, very talented guy, and Edmund, we all know the talent that Edmund has in the race car. Uh, Saturday's 15K was Chris Fitton over Lucas Walker, uh, neither from Ohio. Uh, but Lucas is in Kentucky, so Ohio will probably claim him. Um, Saturday's $4,000. Ohio can't have Lucas Walker. <laughs> Saturday's 4000 to win Gambler's Race, which was going to be at 3000 We added a little of that purse, too, just to say thank you. Was Tim Douglas out of Virginia over Joe Foley, um, neither from Ohio. And then uh, Sunday, Ohio got pissed and, um, and got it all back. Randy Biddle, Jr., in the 15K, got the win over Caleb Ellison. Uh, Randy Biddle lives in Virginia. Having a Ohio crazy, can't blame Randy Biddle. Having a crazy good year, by the way. He's, he's the man. And, uh, and he's from Ohio originally. And then, of course, Caleb Ellison, the, the guy that we named the next big thing, I don't know, three years ago. and uh, Five. Five years ago. It's been okay. a while, yeah. Well, he was obviously, uh, he, he lived up to it. Uh, Caleb Ellison is a bad, bad man. And, uh, he's won a hundred K there uh, in the, uh, you know, September, 2020. And now he's back in the winter circle with a runner up 15 K. So talented, talented young man. And, and all these people are very talented and got big wins on the mountain. But Luke, I don't know if you counted them, but that was five winners, uh, five races, five winners, the car count was 434 on Friday, 450 on Saturday, 400 even on Sunday. The Thursday gamblers had 221. The Saturday gamblers had 169. So there were quite a few runs made at Bristol Dragway at the 16th World Foot Brake Challenge. And man, it was it was just awesome. You know, we we all we we planned for five winners. We advertised that. And to be able to get it and crown all those guys and stand in winner's circle with all of them, winners and runners up, really cool thing. And uh, the event was was phenomenal uh, from the from a promoter's view. You know, we, we couldn't have asked for anything more, really. It's always I, I realize that that accomplishing this feat is not always within a racetrack or a promoter's control, but it's always a good thing when everything that was laid out on the flyer comes to fruition. It is, you know, that's certainly what you intend when you build the flyer and put it out there. And uh, fortunately for us, most years we get exactly that. And, you know, back to the discussion about the forecast and the rain, I think what people's question in general is, you know, if you do lose a day, what are you going to do? Well, we, we would combine the purses, you know, the intent is to pay the 45,000 in the main event, regardless of how you get there. Last year, we had to pay 20 on Saturday and 25 on Sunday because it rained on Friday. We did not lose that day. We just got so deep into it that having a race with over 500 competitors was not going to be possible. So we had a gambler's race and then took the 45 and split it over two days. So I guess the, the message that I want people to, to know and understand is 
it's our full intent to pay everything that we say we'll pay and we're going to get it to you the best way we know how but uh, steve and i try to make racer friendly decisions and and do what's best for our supporters and our customers and typically we we do get that achieved all right so those of us that were not on the grounds at bristol we were following along on social media we were following along on the live feed we saw the on-track action. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about, pull back the curtain, Big Jeb. What was it like from your perspective behind the scenes at the world's greatest footbreak race? Um, a lot of work from behind the scenes. As you know, Luke, you do this, so it's, uh, it's a ton of work. But uh, fortunately, we got great sponsors and a great staff. And just um, overall, it is an absolute blast. You know, we do have our share of challenges behind the scenes, but we try to get that stuff taken care of. But just through my eyes, um, you know, a, a ton of fun. Um, JJ got to race. Now, I'm pretty sure that I went on record here on the podcast a few years ago saying, you know, I don't want my cars in my race. I don't want my, my family in my race. House car. Know, JJ, yeah, JJ was probably 10, nine at the time. I don't know. <laughs> now he's 16 and he's racing and it's his dream to race in the WFC. And until Monday, I had that completely shut down, son, it's not going to happen. You're just going to go work. Oh, how did and, he convince you? Well, he didn't. Um, I had been beat up by a few of my friends prior to that and, and one other staff member prior to that. They're saying you, you got to let him race. I mean, you just got to, cause it's just, I mean, it's his dream and he's, he's as old as he's the same age the race is. And, you know, he's lived it every year and dreamed of doing it. And I had no intentions of that because I just didn't want there to be any conflict. Wait a second. That just dawned on me, man. I was at the first WFC. Yes, you were. JJ is the same age as the God. I'm old. Okay, hold on. Go, JJ go was on. he was one. Yeah. Um, okay. So uh, you know, anyway, I had no intentions of letting him do that. But Monday, I just it it come down on me pretty good from uh, from a friend and a racer, and he said, "Why won't you?" I said, "You know, just if there's controversy or something, just." just have a bad, there's no right answer if something happens. And he said, you don't have all those cars and all those people there without them trusting you. He said, the people, your supporters trust you and they know if there's an issue and, and it has to lean in somebody's favor, they know it would lean in their favor. You would not, you would not lean to JJ's favor if you had to make a tough decision like that. And that's absolutely right. So um, you know, once he said that and put it in perspective for me, I said, you know, if, if somebody thinks that I could even, uh, impact the results from the, the promoter seat, then they don't understand because that's not possible anyway. So the only thing I was concerned about was an issue where I had to make a decision and it would not fall in JJ's favor. So I did let him race. And it seemed to be very well received by the racers. Uh, everybody was excited to see him out there. He's, he's been a, a major part of the event for quite some time. And, you know, Luke, I, I, I would 
not be uh, truthful if I didn't admit that it was an incredible feeling to watch my, my son compete at the WFC, knowing what was going on inside of his body and, and you know, a dream realized and uh, certainly the, just the general excitement that he had to, to get out there and get after it. So uh, it was it was pretty incredible. And um, I, I, I am glad that he ultimately got to, to get out there and compete. Now he got his head caved in. Yeah, <laughs> well, it was the WFC. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we do have insurance, uh, you know, responsibilities now with the doctor visits and those things. Uh, <laughs> no, I can only imagine the feeling. My uh, my my nine year old son got to uh, to compete at the Mecca last weekend. We we went to Lucas Oil Raceway at Indianapolis, and uh, and I and I think that uh, that hit me way harder than it hit my son right at this point like i don't think he's got a true appreciation for for what he got the opportunity to do by any stretch i know that jj does and to your point like that that event is his u.s nationals like his million dollar race has been since day one and i can only imagine what was going through his mind his heart and and uh, also yours so yeah pretty cool stuff it was very cool and um, I'm, I'm glad it happened um you know it, it, again just watching him compete out there with uh with some of the best there he is just it was fun but you know it's like man it's hard to watch him get beat on here like that too but uh who didn't who among us didn't get beat on by grown men when we were 16 so that uh that's neither here nor there all in all it was a great experience for he and i you know, I, I had my nephew there, Cade Caulfield, Luke. Um, it he was, was his incredible, first, by the way. It was his first time to be with us. Uh, family vacations have kept him from being able to attend. And I knew this kid was special. He's my junior dragster driver. He's a special kid, but he just turned 15 a couple of weeks ago. But he did an unbelievable job with the videos and the interviews and the foot brake fast facts, things that he was doing, uh, just going out and just randomly running up to people and interviewing them and uh, it was, it was all, you know, his and uh, Jessica Spears idea to go out and do these things. And they, they just really blew me away with, with the things they were doing with our customers. And of course, uh, uh Paige Hamlin along with Kate and Jessica was uh, part of our social media team. She takes care of sponsor responsibilities and round prizes and schedule updates and just general information, getting it on our social media page and uh, making sure that people are aware of what's going on at the event and certainly highlighting prize winners and those things. Uh, and I know we've talked off air, Luke, and you got to see our, our social media efforts this year. You know, they were, they were very uh, obvious and I just, I can't thank that team enough for what they did. My goodness, it was, uh, it was awesome. My feed was just absolutely blown to pieces with, uh, with WFC stuff and people replying. And I've gotten a lot of great comments on, on our social media work as well. So super excited about that team. And I, like I said, I know you got to see that. And I'm hoping a lot of the listeners did, but if you didn't go to the world Footbreak challenge, Facebook page, it's uh, it was incredible. No doubt. I, I mean, I feel like we've talked about this on a couple of uh, instances already this season. The bar is being raised in that area, whether it's live feed production, social media presence. 
but you guys are absolutely pushing the envelope. Like it, it was, it was really impressive. It was fun to follow along. Uh, like I say, we were racing, so I wasn't in it like I like I kind of want to be, you know, and, and know every every detail of what's going on. But they made it so easy to follow along via Facebook and and so engaging. It was it was incredible. Well, I, th- I appreciate that, and I hope that uh, others feel the same way. And I feel like they do in general, because um, it was it was a tremendous effort. I, as I shared with you, our, our total reach on the, the week through Facebook uh, at the at the very end of the event had doubled what last year did. And I don't know last year how long it took that that reach to stop. You know, do folks look at videos for another day or do they look at them for another week or another month? So whatever that reach was and, and the time frame that it took to get there, our reach was doubled at the very end of Sunday. So I would assume when it's all said and done that that social media presence will be well over double. Uh, that social media reach, excuse me, will be well over double what it was for 2021. So yeah, pretty excited about that. The the thing about that, obviously, that that reach that's beneficial to you and Steve and your brand, it's beneficial to, to all of your sponsors and marketing partners involved in the event. But I think what's underrated, underappreciated is how much that means to the racers. Like we all, whether we openly admit it or not, like we all dig the attention, but specifically for your crowd, your market, like those racers aren't on the big stage as often as, as others. Right. And, and I think it's the one opportunity to really get showcased one of a handful, perhaps for many of them, but, um, to, to have not only eyeballs on you, but to have that production value constantly enhancing, uh, the, the show and multiplying the numbers of eyeballs on you. I am a believer that that matters. Yeah. I think that's as accurate as it gets. And, um, you know, it's really good to highlight these guys that don't get that type of attention on a regular basis because there's literally hundreds and thousands of other potential customers that are looking at that going, well, I, I race with that guy every week. He's got a he's got a regular cab pickup and an open trailer and and he's out there doing that and I can do that. I mean, our, our crowd is just full of regular hardworking folks. So um, I definitely think reaching, getting that reach and showing that, uh, that anybody can come there and enjoy themselves and have a good time, win or lose is, uh, is important for our brand and our future. So really excited about the, the impact that, that that will have going forward. And I know it's not quantifiable, but I, I believe we can have a pretty decent idea of how that's working just by the interaction. And um, it, so far, it's been wonderful. So uh, my wife, Jenny, Steve's wife, Shonda, you know, they, they've got the toughest jobs at the event, um, keeping up with all the paperwork and the payouts and all the just general business of an event like that. And, oh, my gosh, I couldn't imagine how difficult it is to keep up with so many tabs. And It is such you know, an underrated part of putting on an event, right? It is. And we pay second round winners, Luke, in every race, gamblers. And, uh, you know, so a lot of people are getting paid. That's a, that's another message we need to make clear to everybody. We we pay a lot of racers. I mean, a lot of people win second round and beyond. So that's a, that's a lot of payout for them. They, they do a, a phenomenal job, a wonderful job. So we're thankful for them. And, 
you know, uh, Ryan Gleghorn, Jake Hodge, uh, JJ, and we had uh, Jace Wanamaker, uh, Justin and Kim's uh, oldest son, doing a lot of mic work this weekend, along with some great uh, fill-ins that we had. Uh, those those guys did a wonderful job too. Our announcing team really was was strong this weekend. I'm, I'm thankful for each of them. And the only, I guess, negative loop that that happened really um, that that I wouldn't say marred the event, but it certainly put a mark on it was the on track accidents we had. We had a couple of on track accidents. Um, one was our announcer Ryan Gleghorn. Um, put uh, put Jake Hodges' real pretty, freshly redone Vega wagon up against the wall with an excessive braking incident, and uh, it, it busted the front end up pretty good, but it did no structural damage, so and certainly didn't hurt Ryan, and he uh, barely escaped collecting um, uh, Jordan Wilhelm I slid behind him, so as bad as it was, it could have been so much worse. And uh, then we had Brian Yerger Jr. Uh, in a beautiful 65 uh, Ford Comet that uh, I believe his grandfather maybe bought new and uh, they've still got it in the family and really pretty car. And um, I, it looked like our late panic drop. Luke, it, it, he only killed like a hundredth or something, but something happened and maybe something gave up in parts i don't know in the braking system but he got that one up against the wall pretty bad and it it, it beat it up bad and i think did some extensive damage to it not sure of, of the opportunity they'll have to to put that one back together but uh we we had three or four um near misses that could have ended very badly so you know that uh, got him a crawl a little bit. Uh, I, yeah, I certainly, they, you, you, they teed you up on this, Big Jed. Like I, I don't know how I went down this rabbit hole, but I, I got footage of of a of a rare Jed. I don't want to call it rant. Like you 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 got up on your high horse and kind of laid down the law. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, in hindsight, it's a little embarrassing because uh, I had people say, "Oh man, you you got your you put your principal voice on that," and, and you know rattled me a little bit but um i don't know I, I definitely have seen it many times over the years we've had a couple of issues uh, against the wall because of excessive braking but this year just seemed to to be heightened for whatever reason um and luckily no additional cars were collected other than the ones that braked hard but I just don't want, I don't want people to think the WFC is a is an event that's going to celebrate that or tolerate that kind of behavior and just look the other way, Luke. Um, we're going to put an excessive braking rule into place. Uh, I, I don't know exactly what that's going to look like right now, but I got some idea and um, I'm, I'm discussing that with uh, with people. Uh, you'll definitely be somebody I'll discuss it with and, and have somewhat already. But um, I want to I want to word this properly and I want it to be something that we can police with uh, compassion and understanding for what the racer is trying to accomplish, but also with, um, uh, I guess, um, 
I guess understanding that how bad it could be if it collected someone else and understanding the impact of a, of a poor decision and how dangerous that is to continually make that type of decision at the finish line. So, you know, maybe some kind of warning on, uh, on uh, number one infraction, but, um, you know, an elimination for the day on the, on the second infraction and hope that, that that doesn't happen. We don't get to a second one. Hopefully we don't get to a first one because people don't even want that warning. So I want it to impact how people are thinking and acting on the racetrack. And I want people that want that let their 16 year old go out and race in a dream event for them to know that it's not the type of environment where we're um, applauding that and your 16 year old is not in danger because we're allowing that to go on because we're not going to. Yeah. I mean, an excessive breaking rule is obviously rooted in safety, but I, I think it's more than that. I think it's as much about respect as it is safety, right? Like respect for the game, respect for the opponent in the other lane, right? Like the, the issue comes in as we've discussed before in, in the legislation of, or the, the implementation of, of such a rule. And we talked a little bit about this off air. Like I, I've always kind of railed against any type of excessive breaking ruling because it is, it turns into selective prosecution to some point, but you brought up some good points. And I, I think this is where I fall on this. Like, Given, I don't know exactly how you word the rule. Obviously, you've got a year to figure that out, right? Or, or close to a year to figure that out. But well, actually, I got a I got okay, an event, I, Labor I, Day weekend. Let's roll. Uh, well, yeah, that's right. That's right. You got you got a couple months to figure this out. <laughs> yeah, not long. And think about that. Well, given today's technology and the ability to to review everything on film, right? So you can see. Tire smoke, you can see, you know, obviously it's, um, it's subjective, but you can see loss of control. And I think you brought up a really good point earlier when you were talking about JJ racing and the equity that you and Steve and your team has built among your customers. I think it's fair to say that they trust you to make the right call, right? Based upon what you see in the moment, based upon what you see on video and, you know, I'm, I'm, I trust that you'll compare that with what you see on run sheets, you know, and, and get a, a, a physical feel for what was killed ET wise, because, you know, I mean, depending on where it happens on the racetrack, I think all of those play a role in, in determining whether or not this crossed the line. It's still subjective, but when anything is subjective, it really comes down to how much do you trust the person making the call? And with all due respect to like the powers that be at NHRA, I don't know anybody there that I trust to make that call. I would trust you and Steve to make that call. And I think that were it, it me as an example or, or any offender that, that basically you had to, to come down on a ruling, I think when you, if you make that decision, I think that offender would look you in the eye and go, yeah, you're right. Like I, That's the way that I see that going down. I don't think every um, event every racetrack, every promoter could dip their toe into that water. But I do believe 
a select few can. And I think that you're on that list. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes sense. And I appreciate that. And I certainly would hope that's the case. And I, I believe that would be the case third round, Luke. But I'm not sure at three cars when somebody gets a wind mm, light and goes yeah. through and goes yeah. through sideways and you tell them that they're out and the other car is advancing to the final. That one's going to be hard. It's going to yeah. be real hard. So what we want to do is create a culture where guys understand that isn't allowed and hopefully we have it happen second or third round a couple of times when we have to eliminate someone so the guy's somewhat expecting it when it happens whether it's three cars or you know even in final um, so we'll we'll see how that goes but um we definitely feel the need to to do our part to create the right culture and the right kind of behavior on the racetrack you know it's just it's it's getting out of hand and with live feeds and certainly you know our our sponsors out there contributing to the event at a very high level and and we want everybody racers and sponsors to be represented the right way and and we we want to create the right kind of culture that we're looking for so we feel the need to to put some kind of rule in place which we will do soon all right, let's shift gears. Let's let's move from Bristol, Tennessee to, to Martin, Michigan and the SFG 500, the, the richest event of the weekend. Now, there's a lot to dissect here and we're going to do our best to get into all of it. Right. But again, uh, I don't I think it would be disrespectful to the racers that, that spent a week of their life in Michigan and some of them, uh, you know, won life changing money and, and, and earned uh, earned massive rewards that uh that will be a part of their legacy so let's start with the on-track action the on-track performances and where else to start but the main event winner how about ryan barnes i i I, i'll be honest big jed i didn't know a whole lot about ryan barnes coming into this event but what i've gathered what an incredible story of resilience is it resilience or resiliency i don't know yes it is one yes okay the way that I took this big Jed, Brian Barnes, Georgia native in Michigan, uh, driving what appears to be a, a former McCarty car. I assume it's a former McCarty car. It's Ryan's car now. Oh, for the weekend coming into, uh, wait, that, that, that's not even accurate. Oh, for the week, because this thing started on Monday. Over the week coming into the SFG 500, the main event, um, zero wins, zero up, nine down was the way that I read this. Yeah. And then come in and turn it all around. It got worse. I think on one of his entries in the main event, he broke a throttle cable, right? So obviously zero chance of winning that round unless mm-hmm. it's red. Get that changed and then rattle off, obviously in some form or fashion, 10 consecutive win lights in the biggest, the, the richest event of the season, perhaps the richest event of Ryan Barnes' career um, to leave with the main event trophy and the check for what ended up being $350,000. Yeah. Uh, it, it is a great story of, of resiliency. I'm going with that one. Um, I mean, over nine, Luke, can you imagine staging in, in any, in any span of time? I don't care if that took you three or four Saturday nights. <laughs> right. If, if you're over nine, just right in a row, 
man, your spirit is destroyed. You just feel like this, level is I can't do anything right. Yes. There's no way I'm going to do anything right. And Ryan stuck to the program, still continued to have challenges, like you said, with the throttle cable, and just got one entry left in the second round on the, the biggest day of the racing landscape this year and fights through it and gets the win. What a wonderful story. I mean, really good for Ryan. That's a, that's a, a, a definitely a guy that's beaten all the challenges and, you know, fighting through, a, I couldn't imagine a mental block that you get when you're, you're going through a stretch like that. So well, I'm going to say, I couldn't imagine it. I can imagine it because, you know, I do it, but I couldn't imagine it when you got that much money on the line. So I'd be, um, I'd be interested to hear Ryan talk on that specifically, but I also, I think as, as incredible a story as it is, and, and, and it is like, there's a, a mental toughness element to that. In my mind, it also illustrates a point that I make pretty often that it just takes one round, like it, it can just take one round right? To, to turn all of that momentum around. Like it's amazing the, the, the therapeutic psychology that the wind light can provide. Like sometimes it just takes getting it right once to start the snowball in the positive direction. And I don't know if it was that simple for, for Ryan Barnes, but it, this is proof positive that, Hey, man, this, this sport especially can, can change in an instant, can turn on a dime, however you want to put it. Um, Ryan Barnes proof positive of that. Very well said. Uh, you know, it's a, it's the kind of story that you know you hope inspires other people to take their shot uh, because that's a this is a, a definitely a feel good story to to have that kind of stretch of I won't call it failure but but lack of accomplishing what you're trying to accomplish and then fight through it and go out there and get the the biggest prize in racing. I think by definition that's failure. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was, I, it is failure. I just didn't want to call it that. <laughs> Fair. Fair. Well, we can't call him a failure at this point. That's for <laughs> no, sure. Not anymore. So great story for him. That's definitely I, I actually thought both finalists were, a, were an incredible story. Uh, Aaron Dysinger getting the, uh, the runner-up finish in his beautiful Malibu. Um, I, I, I would assume Aaron's wherever Aaron is today, he's still dialed 620, still going 620. I'm telling I didn't, I didn't, I wasn't locked into this. Like I said, we, we were busy racing weed eaters. Um, but every time I turned it on, it seemed like Aaron Dysinger was staging and it seemed like he was dialed 620 and he kept going 620. Like every time I, I, I clicked over to YouTube for four days, I watched Aaron Dysinger go 620. It's going 620. It was really impressive. Uh, the, the main event, I did get to, to watch the better part of the, the late rounds. I think I tuned in with maybe, I can't remember exactly what it was, 12 or 14 cars left total. So like six or seven on, on each side. And you saw, like, I, I tuned in expecting to see big names. And I did at that point with Scotty Richardson, it was Nasty Nick. It was John LaBoost Jr. It's Dave Connolly, Sean Sarah, Corey Galitti, Donnie Burleson. Right. And they, I watched them drop almost like if you rank them biggest names to, to, you know, relative unknowns, it seemed like they almost dropped in order. Like it was like the six or seven biggest names lost that round. And then the three next biggest names lost the next round. And you wind up with two obviously phenomenal racers. Like you don't make it to the, to the, to round six in that event without being a great racer, much less the final. But I think if you had the Calcutta going at 12 or 14, 
Ryan Barnes and Aaron Dysinger are probably not among the top five picks. And they just kept going through it. Like I, I thought it was fun to watch. Like I don't necessarily have a, a rooting interest outside of my own friends. It's not like I'm rooting against Scotty or, or Nick Hastings or anyone else, but I, I do think it is fun and probably on a broader scale, healthy for our sport to see some of those lesser known drivers have success on that stage. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Luke. Uh, you know, I, I think um, everybody's happy for Scotty or Laboose or Nick or whomever when they win, but nobody necessarily is rooting for the the traveling pro to get the, the biggest win light in bracket racing. You know, I think people are generally rooting for the underdog. And out of the list that you mentioned, no offense to Ryan or Aaron, but they, as you said, were probably the underdog and the, you know, the, the last kid chosen for the, the dodgeball tournament. But um, to see them reach such a significant and impactful final round together, uh, pretty darn cool. You know, sometimes you get a guy, just your normal guy reaches that final, but he might be going against Scotty or Nick or Laboose or whomever and, uh, it's a David versus Goliath type thing, but this was uh, this was two Davids getting after it and duking it out, and certainly guys that are capable of of racing at a very high level, regardless of what their name is. But uh, it was fun to see two just guys kind of like us out there getting it done. Really cool, and and really happy for those two. Other winners from the week: um, Corey Galetti, ho hum, just another day at the office. I actually I. I, in my intro to, to last week's show, I talked about Corey and Matt Dadis winning the, the 10 granders at the micro million, you know, basically the, the weekend leading up to this. I'm like, that's great. But I don't, I don't, I don't know if I, I don't know if I'm down with that strategy. Like I know those guys are young and I'm old, but like come day five, much less day eight, day nine, like I'm, I'm going to struggle. Like I'm going to look at the delay box and know that's what I need in there. Or that's what I needed a week ago, but man, I just don't have the <laughs> the, the mental, the physical, whatever to, to continue to hit the tree at that level. And so I questioned that strategy. Corey made me look pretty silly. Not only did he win the 50 the next day, he's down to, I don't know, seven, 12 in the main event. So yeah, Corey just races and, and races at a high level. And this is like, again, I feel like this is over. It's a 50 grander. It's obviously overshadowed by the, the main event. But this is just another in this growing resume. I forget what Corey's done in his career. Just this season, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, relative, as quietly as you can amass $100,000 in winner's checks, that's what Corey Glitty's done as of July 5. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. And, you know, Corey didn't, uh, didn't really take uh, uh, any time off from winning, but he was not uh, doing it at the clip that that he did probably two and a half to three years ago. And uh, he has come full circle now and he is back to his consistent winning ways. So Corey's back. Corey's back. Everybody's back, but Corey's back. So really happy to see that. Good for Corey. Donovan Williams. I don't know where he went. He's back too. Donovan wins 50. Oh. Corey Glitty wins 50. Um, Sean Sarah wins 20. So that's, that's all young guns. Right. And, and maybe I didn't, I hadn't really thought about this until we were just talking about it. I do think like the nature of this event should, at least in theory, kind of lend itself to the young guns. 
this the just the um what's the word that i'm looking for not the fortitude the tenacity the, the stamina i think to to race for what seven consecutive days at a high level mental and physical i think it lends itself towards the younger younger crowd uh, the other yeah. big winner from uh from the weekend of opening 50 grand i think it was back on monday was nick folk in the dog car the slammer yeah it was good to see as well uh, nick getting it done in the the super stalker um driving very well as always and you know you you talk about guys that do this on a consistent basis these young guys you know donovan's obviously coming into his own now a hundred thousand dollar win a fifty thousand dollar win um sean sarah Corey galetti those those young guys have done plenty but nick folks done this for a long time luke this is this is not a young man anymore and it's uh it's not a guy that that has five or six years under his belt i mean nick's been doing this for uh 20 plus maybe 25 uh and winning i mean at that kind of pace so that's uh nick folk continuing to show how talented he is you know he had his million dollar run what two years ago where he was uh in the you know final rounds and late rounds of those and of course winning big races and still right here in 2022 of course he did win that early so maybe it is a young man's game he didn't win that early in the week there you go go. we got it we saw him get him early nick but nonetheless it's uh, it's, uh, it's incredible to see what what kind of stretch of of wins he's had over this time period he's been racing guys done it a long time i think it's fair to say i was actually having um this conversation just randomly with a, a a big name racer i won't divulge names right um and Nick's name actually came up and we came to the conclusion as odd as it is to say, because Nick Folk is a household name. Nick Folk's underrated, like as a, as a racer, um, like he's not the, people don't talk about him in the same light as, uh, uh Scotty or Peter or Troy and Gary. Right. I think um, so. And, and I almost, that's a, that's a very exclusive table, but I think Nick, Nick's name should be brought up in that same sentence because like you just look at the total body of work. Well, here's a guy that has won in an HRA super comp world championship an IHRA championship and stock eliminator. I think a couple IHRA championships and top dragster had to your earlier point. I want to say that Nick Folk has been in the semifinal round of at least $5 million races. That's pretty rare air, right? And one of the things that for me is always separated specifically like Scotty and Peter is the versatility aspect. And with Nick, like top ball, bottom ball, long track, short track, dragster, door car, he's done it all. Like, I think you list off any of the, the truly elite, you know, you get into the Pantheon and I trust that, you know, you take your top 10, top 20, however you want to rank it. I, I trust that those 20 racers could do it all but not all of them have done it all. And Nick, like maybe not on the level of a Scotty or a Peter, like Nick's done it all. Um, so like I say, if it's possible to be named Nick Folk and be underrated in your driving ability, I, I think Nick is. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. He, he's definitely underrated. He's, you know, I think uh, he's talked about as, as one of the greats, but it seems to be after he does something like he did, it seems to be after he gets a $50,000 winner or a million final or you mean like we're we're talking about him now just like now but you know (laughs) when when you when you list out the 
the top 20 big money bracket racers of all time, I'm not sure Nick gets outside of that list. I mean, I, you know, in no 20, yeah. 20 is, is sounds like a big number, but we've been bracket racing a long time, been big money bracket racing a long time. You list that 20 out, that's going to be some bad, bad people. And Nick would definitely be in that list. All right, we've gone through the results. We buried the lead. I, I think rightfully so, but we buried the, the real story, specifically from Martin, Michigan and the SFG 500, the drama, Big Jed, uh, on a couple of different levels. The first, I don't know, like I said, social media algorithms are, are, are funny things. So I don't know if this was at the forefront of everyone's attention as it seemed to be brought to mind, but the house car discussion seemed to be boiling. Was it like that for you? No, I didn't really hear. Uh, I didn't hear much of anything. Yeah, you were submerged in your own little world at Bristol. Yeah, so. I had my hands full. But, so uh, it just, it, it, it seemed like <clears throat> that the house car accusations were louder than I've ever heard. But I'll be honest, man, like <laughs> I kind of chuckled because at this point, the only thing that I'm surprised by coming from, and I'll, I'll just, I'll single out SFG. I'll, I'll circle back on this and, and back up on it a little bit. But I think the only thing that I'm surprised by is the fact that at this point, like for as long as, as SFG has been putting on racers, the, the shocking thing to me is that at this point, there are still racers that are shocked by the idea that there are quote unquote house cars in these big events. Like, I don't know the details. I won't claim to know the percentage. Like I, I, I don't know who's who's in the race and, and not paying entry fees. But I, at the same time, I'm confident that there are several racers in these events that aren't paying the entry fees. Like it doesn't take a lot of imagination. I feel like if you attend these races with any degree of regularity and you don't believe that there are house cars in the events, like the, the term that I go back to, Jen, you'll be familiar with this from, uh, from college athletics, you know, before the, the nature of college athletics changed, we'd talk about a, a coach of a big time program that had no idea that his players were being compensated to come to said program. Well, I think it's fair to say that coach was willfully ignorant. Like they didn't want to know. I think you go to these events and you say, there's, there's everybody here paid the same entry fee when they came in the gate. Like you're willfully ignorant. Like you're just... And I, I, I singled out SFG there. Like their SFG is not the first. They won't be the last. They do seem to be the most like blatant, like kind of in your face about it. it. I'll say this. It does it just doesn't take a ton of imagination. You've got a, a family of racers that rarely leave their home track, much less their home state. And they come to an event on the other side of the country or halfway across the country and all four family members are double entered. Like they have a $20,000 tab. Do you expect me to, to, to believe that? You know, they, and it happens over and over and over again. So again, I don't know the details. I don't know the particulars, but it, it's, it seems obvious that, that SFG plays both sides of that deck. Right. And again, not specifically limited, uh, limited to SFG, but they seem to be the most blatant about it. Now, back to, we've discussed this before, and you even alluded to it earlier, Jed. If a competitor hasn't, you know, paid their full entry, and if a promoter is getting 
a cut of their winnings as a result of that. And again, I don't, I'm not going to pretend to know exactly how these deals work, but I think it's safe to assume there's some type of that arrangement in place on, on some level. That doesn't alter the competitive balance of the race. It's not like they have a button in the tower that says left lane wins, right? That, that's not how this works. So as a racer, I don't really care who paid whose entry fee. Like at the elite levels of the sport, like there's a lot of racers being staked, right? Like I don't care if they're staked by somebody that I've never met or they're staked by the race promoter. Like that doesn't really alter the competitive balance of the event at all. But at the same time, as a racer, if, if you go and invest $5,000 in a weekend and you lose to someone who you know or suspect didn't pay that entry fee, and you know or you assume that the promoter who you've trusted with your investment, you know, a significant investment, is getting a cut of the winnings of that racer that just put you out, like, I don't, I, I have a hard time quantifying like the level of corruption. I don't know that I feel like it's corruption. I don't know that I feel like it's, it's, um, you know, impropriety necessarily, but it just, I, if the racer says, man, that just doesn't feel good to me. I get that. It doesn't feel great to me either. I totally get that. And, and I think I would feel the same way as a competitor. Um, you know, because the, when you truly have a, quote unquote house car loop that that racer was intentionally picked to try to win the race and and protect my purse to where I get to keep it and you know he's intention he or she is intentionally picked to try to beat you the guy that that spent five thousand that that's the whole idea of putting them in is to think that they can win and get me my money back so that has a dirty feel to it. I agree. I, and I totally understand that. Um, you know, when you, you joked about it, when I said, JJ got to race, he said, house car. Uh, one of the things that when I finally talked to Steve about it and said, Hey, you know, what do you think? Cause I'm getting beat up. And he said, look, as long as you don't think JJ's a, a Nick Hastings and possibly going to win two of the days, then I say, you know, you let him race. He, he's an employee. He work his he works his tab off. Um, well, it sounded weird. Like he's got like he works his tab off. Uh, but you know he works to take care of his tab. So um, and he doesn't get pay as a result. So you know, but he he's not picked to. So he said as long as he's not that. You know, I mean, I think it's fine. Let him race. So. I told him, and, and I hope JJ don't listen to this podcast. I said, uh, you know, Steve, I ain't sure he can win two rounds, much less two days. I mean, he's just not there yet. You know, he's, he's a good little racer for 16 in the second year of racing, but I knew this was going to be somewhat of a bloodbath for, for somebody with, with his, um, you know, experience. So nonetheless, um, I think people, accepted that very well now if i went out in the pits and said guys i brought nick hastings in and uh, i'm just gonna let him race and it ain't gonna cost him nothing and and i'm gonna you know i'm gonna get his or cut of his winnings well they burn the place down so I, I think there's different levels there's some gray area in this and 
I understand how people would view it very similar to the scenario that you laid out when there's a true house car there intended to beat me to keep the money. I, I get that completely. And it does have very much of a dirty feel to it. Yeah. To your point, like it is, there's so much gray and it's such a fine line. Like I, I think about the the little event that we put on um, and, and I'm just like, you've always been like, I, I don't compete. I don't let our track owner compete. I, I don't, my wife doesn't compete, but at the same time, like, where do you draw that line? Like my father-in-law comes every year races. My sister-in-law comes every year races. Um, I mean, I make it very clear to them that Hey, you're, you're, you're paying your entry fee, just like everyone else. And I'll just be completely honest, whether this is fair or unfair to you, if there is anything that is like a 50, 50 call on my part, you lose, sorry. Right. Like in, and very clear about that coming in, but I don't, I don't, you know what I mean? Like where you draw that line is, is, is different for everybody. And, and I feel like there's a, there's a lot of gray area. And again, like if you want to put in half the field, like most of those racers are probably going to figure out a way to get there anyway. I don't know. I don't believe that it changes the competitive balance, but at the same time, like it just kind of has an icky feeling. And I think, you know, the title of this podcast is, is perception reality. Like uh, for me, like the perception of that is reality. Yeah. Perception is reality in, in every every aspect of life, whatever people perceive things to be, uh, at least the consensus, you know, that is reality, whether it's, it is truly factual or not, it is reality because that's how people are going to view it. And that's how it is. But um, I definitely agree with the icky, the icky feel and, and those sentiments. And, you know, I, again, I have no knowledge of what we're talking about uh, relative to this event. So I'm interested in hearing or seeing more about that. I can't really comment on what you're talking about specifically about this, this particular race, but. To be um, completely transparent, I'm speculating perhaps recklessly um, because I don't, I don't have any direct knowledge of this and maybe I shouldn't even be putting it out there, but I, I just feel like that is um, the common perception. Right. And, and I, and I don't think it, I don't think it takes much to connect the dots, but regardless, that's neither here nor there. That, that's the, that's the drama piece of this. And I thought it was worth touching on because I did see it um, more predominantly than I've maybe ever seen it in the past, or at least in recent history. That wasn't the only drama from this event, Jed. And this is the part that I just found fascinating. And again, take this with a grain of salt. We weren't there, right? And we're, we're getting all of this information secondhand, but I, I trust at this point that I, we uh, have some reliable sources, if you will. I, I, have a, I feel like I have a good grasp of what went down with Saturday morning at, at the SFG 500. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah, wholeheartedly. Okay. So let me see if I can frame this for, for anyone that, that is a little bit out of the loop. Like, uh, I think it was Thursday's 50 grander was the, 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 the best that I could tell was the, the biggest day of this event in terms of entrance. And I believe that the number fell somewhere in the neighborhood of 370 entries. Now, I think it's fair to assume that um, you're going to lose a percentage of that on the big day. You know, it's a, whatever the 50 grander was to enter versus $1,500 to enter the big show. It, even if 
whether there's going to be a handful of racers leave, there's going to be a handful of racers that were doubled for 50 that are not going to double for the big show. Like you're, you're going to lose some racers. And even if you didn't, um, like the way that these events are structured, it is very much dependent on a huge car. Can you do quick math, right? It's $500,000 just to win a uh, $1,500 entry fee. So if you have 300 entrants, that doesn't even cover the winner's purse. And there's buyback money involved, but there's more payout and there's track rental. And it, my point is, it was very easy to see like, oh God, like the SFG team is going to lose a significant sum of money if they go through with this event that was, you know, advertised as $500,000 to win guarantee. Um, and so what happened, and, and correct me because you've, you've gotten this story as well, Big Jed, but my understanding of what happened was on Saturday morning, which the, the big show had been basically pushed back a day uh, for, for a variety of reasons. I'm, I'm not exactly privy to, but Saturday morning of the big show, um, Kyle Riley calls essentially a, a driver's meeting, right, of, of some sort, and basically lays out two options. Says, look, um, the purse is guaranteed $500,000 to win, full payback. Uh, obviously, we don't have uh, enough income generation here to, to cover that purse. I guaranteed it. I'm prepared to pay it. Like it's going to take everything that I've got. It's going to break me. Um, we'll probably never have another event, but I'll pay it. That's option one. Option two is, look, we've legitimately brought in, like if I pay out 100% roughly uh, of what's being brought in, we paid $350,000 to win. I don't know if there was any other adjustments to the purse. My perception was no, but regardless, that, that's not particularly relevant. And, um, and we can do that and, and continue on. And basically put it to a vote among the racers in attendance. And as a, as a racer, like given those two options, I won't fault anyone either way, Jed. I, I don't know where you stand. But the racers that, that raised their hand and said, like, no, I, I came to race for $500,000. That's what I paid for. It was guaranteed. Like, I think that's what you have to do. I don't fault those racers. Like, the, the cost of everything involved is significant. And you've been to plenty of events where promoters, and, and even this promoter, made a lot of money, right? Like, this is part of the risk that you take. Those that raised their hand and said, no, like, pay the, pay the half million. I understand that. At the same time, I think in that situation, I would have a really hard time looking a man in the eye and saying, I understand where you're coming from, but I think you should lose 200 grand. I, I, don't, I don't know that I could do that. I, I, no. and, and my impression, the feedback that I got was it was overwhelmingly in favor, pay the 350, like 90 to 10. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm hearing was a 90%. Uh, in favor. And, you know, I, again, I don't think I could stand there and knowingly look a man in the eye and say, no, nah, no, nah, you got to pay the extra 150 to win. But, you know, I don't care if you lose your house and your cars and whatever else you've accumulated over time. Um, we want this to destroy you, put you in the poor house and never let you have another race again. So I, the, the 10%, I'm not sure what their motivation was to, to want to, to race for the 500. And, you know, the, the, the 
goofy side of me or pessimistic side of me wants to, I want to see who that was. I really would like to know, and I'd like to know how close they got to it, that 10%. I'd like to see if they even sniffed the, the winner's purse or, or part of the split or any of that. But um, I guess in my mind, I would hope that karma got them early and they didn't they didn't get their share of the pie because regardless of how i mean i could probably look my worst enemy in the in the eyes there and and have some compassion and say no three hundred fifty thousand is plenty um and probably more than you should pay so if you're willing to do that i'm in yeah i actually i when i zoom out from this because part of the what I enjoy most about the conversations that we have, Jed, is that we can look at this from a racer perspective as we just did. And we can look at it from the other side of the pay window. Now, I can't, I don't know what it feels like to sign a check for hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? Like I'm not going to pretend that, but the general, you know, thought process and, and trials and, and um, anxiety that, that comes along with being a promoter, like we're, we're, we're both familiar with that. And when I step back from this, like I, I'll, I've been very critical at, at times uh, of SFG and of, of Kyle Riley. Um, I'll commend him for this, like for two reasons. Number one, it would have been easy. And while I'm sure he would have taken significant flack for it, if I was in his shoes, given the current nature of our economy, given $6 a gallon diesel fuel, if I were in his shoes two weeks ago, I'd probably find some reason to pull the plug on this race as a whole because yeah. the writing was on the wall. Like there's no, I don't, I, there, there didn't seem to be a roadmap for this to be profitable. And there was a significant chance of losing life-changing money. Like, uh, you know, this, this car counter, maybe even less. Like I, I feel like that was on the table. And so I'll commend him for going through with it, first and foremost, like just having the race. Um, that takes a lot of guts in this day and age. I, 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 and, I, and I don't think, I feel like Kyle's a very optimistic man and, in general and, and promoter. And, and I know that, uh, or I feel like his faith plays a, a big role in that. But I don't think he could have looked through this through the rose-colored glasses. Like, I don't think there was any scenario in which he envisioned having six, 700 cars here like they've had in years past. Like, I, I just don't think that's realistic in 2022. So to put the race on, I think is commendable, number one. And then as obvious as we just made it sound in hindsight, to gather your drivers and basically lay out those two options and be confident that they are going to empathize with you. Like that seems um, obvious. That seems maybe to some extent easy in hindsight, that could not have been an easy conversation to have or even to prepare for. Like <laughs> I'm just, uh, and especially like my perception, I don't know Kyle Riley that well, my perception of him is a very prideful man. And you have to swallow your pride to some extent to make this offer and be like, look, here's where I'm at, right? And to lay that out there and, and basically it's up to you guys, but here you go. Like I, I got respect for having that conversation. I don't think that's an easy thing to do. I would imagine, Luke, that, that was probably the most difficult thing he's ever done is stand in front of those people that 
even even though they kind of saw it coming, you know, like I'm sure the talk of the pits was, man, this one's going to be a bloodbath. This one's going to hurt bad. And then, you know, do I want to, do I want to even get a check that's no good? Just, just because that's what it says on it. Or do I want this man to look me in my eye and tell me this, this business model didn't work or this format didn't work in these times. And, I'm going to pay you everything I'm taking in and not make a dime on this. And, and this is where it's at. Much rather have that. So I mad respect for Kyle for, for nutting up and coming out there and standing in front of that group and having that discussion with them. And I imagine that 10%, if they were very vocal, made that even more uncomfortable and hard. Uh, so good for Kyle and good for that 90% that, that come to the right answer. Uh, you know, that's, I couldn't imagine having to go out and make that or have that discussion and make that call. So um, definitely commend him for that. Yeah, I, I find it commendable. And then also like, in, in a little bit more humorous tone, I find it commendable and I find it sneaky brilliant. Because when you look back, Jed, like how do you cut six figures out of a quote unquote guaranteed purse? And everybody's cool with it. You know, like, like there's, there's a lot of pushback from that. I see from racers that weren't there that, that want to hate right to begin with, but of your supporters, I saw very little of that. Right. I, I, I feel like everybody was on board to be able to pull that off, to take that much money out of the person. Everybody seemed to essentially be okay with it. Like in retrospect, it's all clear. Like, wow, that was really calculated in the moment. I think it was really difficult but when you zoom out from it, like pretty impressive PR work, right? Oh yeah, no doubt. I, you know, I'm not sure who his uh, who his uh, brain uh, trust is, but um, you know, when they when they had that conversation, uh, I, I don't I don't know that everybody would have thought that's a good idea. But um, he whatever for whatever reason he decided this is the best approach and went out and did it. So. Yeah, I agree very much with what you said. All right, if we zoom out a little bit, like away from this weekend, moving forward, what does this mean in terms of the lower car count and maybe to some extent the way that the the payout was handled? What does it mean for SFG going forward? What does it mean for big dollar bracket racing going forward? I'll I'll take the SFG part first because I, I did see, again, like... SFG particular in particular, Kyle Riley in particular, pretty polarizing in in the in the the world of big dollar racing promotion. And I feel like racers either love him or, or hate him. And there's very little in between, right? Um, so the haters are gonna hate. And I saw a lot of, you know, like this is the the this is the demise of a of a of a big dollar bracket series. I don't know that I agree with that, Jed. Like I actually feel like. Kyle gained some equity with his racers by the way that this was handled. Again, I wasn't there, so I'm, I'm projecting to some extent. Um, but I, I think reports of the demise of SFG, my inclination is to say that they are exaggerated. I, I, I think I don't think that this will hurt him going forward. No, I definitely think uh, he, he's got some some events that are wildly successful on a consistent basis in certain areas. So I fully they expect him to continue on with the with the the events that he's holding now 
obviously he'll make some adjustments and try to get a little more in tune with uh, what the economic conditions are and how his races can live through that. Uh, but Luke, I guess my, my advice here, I am offering advice to, to Kyle. Not, that's not, that doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but if I could offer him some advice, I would definitely say to not let ego get in the way of putting on great events. He's got great events, but I think somewhere in there, there's a little bit of ego that makes him want to do it bigger and better than anybody else does it in racing. And I don't think that's really what racers have to have. I think they want their money's worth, whatever that is. I don't think that you got to pay more. I don't think you got to race more days. I don't think you got to do any of those things. What I think you got to do is just give them what they're paying for when they come in the gate and them know they can trust you to deliver everything you're promising. And it doesn't have to be the biggest and baddest ever. So Kyle, Kyle has that ability. He has a brain that works like that if he just let it. And I think that would lead him to uh, down the path of success if he, if he'll do that. And so that's the SFG component of this. Let's talk about broadening things out a little bit to the, the big dollar bracket market in general, because I think it's, it's a massive understatement to say that the, the climate around the type of racing that we are used to is changing dramatically and quickly, right? Uh, I don't, we've been through some, some difficult economic times. Uh, I don't know that anything in my lifetime compares to, to this, like from a racing standpoint specifically. Um, so on the surface, and again, I, I don't, I don't think it's fair to directly compare, but on the surface, an event like the world Footbreak challenge and an event like the SFG 500 have a lot of things in common. They're, they're established events at premier facilities. And I think it's fair to say that both of the events that we saw last weekend qualify as destination races. There's only a handful of those a year. We had two last weekend. What's different about an event like the SFG 500 in comparison to the World Footbreak Challenge? And I know in saying this, Jed, like I'm, I'm probably going to make you a little bit uncomfortable comparing because of your closeness to the WFC. But again, it's not specific to the WFC. It's not specific to SFG events. It's a generalization as a whole. At this point, we've reached, reached a stage that I would, I think it's fair to say the majority of big dollar bracket races are all about the, the money from a racer standpoint, I don't mean from a promoter standpoint, I mean, from a racer standpoint, that, that the, these races are built on a platform of lower entry fee for bigger purse, few, few, few frills around that. It's strictly cash in, cash out, right? That's the incentive to go and, and race. Select events are more built around an experience, right? Maybe that means less money involved in winning the race or less money in the purse, but perhaps that's made up for in terms of more prestige, maybe a little bit less focus on on track action, which is ultimately the reason that we go to any race, right? But more focus on the total package, the total experience, if you will. And I think the most, the two events that jump to my mind when I talk about that immersive experience from the time that you pull in the gate to the time that you leave 
are the two events that have been wildly successful in a year where nothing has been particularly successful. And the two that come to mind are your event, the, w- the WFC, and the Spring Fling Million in Vegas. Two, two races that are very much built around that immersive experience. Is that fair? I'd say that's as accurate as it gets, Luke. In short, like I guess if I were to, to wrap this into a bow, I feel like the winners love the the common big dollar bracket race model, right? There's only a few winners. The even the losers leave the the quote unquote experience racers races happy. And in this time, like when we're all, I, I think it's fair to say we're all conscious more conscious than ever of where we're spending our money. We're all picking and choosing the racers who legitimately believe that they will win, right? Not that they can win. There's a difference there. But racers that pull in the gate thinking I will win this event. They're going to support the races that are all about the money because it is a cash in cash out transaction, right? Outside of that group. I'm not sure many others can continue to justify supporting that in contrast the the destination event the the that is more catered around the full experience not just for the elite but for the everyman right and while the current circumstances will keep some racers away from events of that nature i, I think it's clear to see, see right now that they did not deter the majority and will continue not to deter the majority yeah uh you know I don't really, I don't really, Luke, I don't understand what makes the WFC work. I mean, I, I know we work hard. We, we make a lot of promises and we deliver on that. But, you know, when I look around that event and I see just normal people pitching tents and, you know, some of them sleep in the truck, uh, not getting the hotels and just battling through, you know, they're, they're up in the morning, they sleep with a fan on in the enclosed trailer and they get up in the morning, they cook breakfast and they're just as happy as they could possibly be. And I might engage them early in the morning. Hey, what's going on? I appreciate you coming. How'd it go yesterday? Oh man, I didn't went around. <laughs> I am, I am, this place is unbelievable. I'm loving it golly man y'all put on a great show like just they're so happy and i don't think that's us making them happy i think it's just the environment that they don't get to live in that environment on a regular basis and i feel like and you know i share the lanes with a lot of these people so here we go i'm gonna get in trouble i'm gonna get in trouble Luke. so get ready the top ball bracers are entitled they don't want their toter parked where the, the tires, I just had to, I just had one of my guys clean this up and he put shine on my wheels and my tires and you want me to park right there? Ain't no way. I ain't parking. This is $400,000 damn dollars. I ain't parking it right there. That don't happen with us. Of course, now we got great parking. There is no bad parking. There's no dirt parking where we are, but. It's just our group is genuinely happy to be on the big stage racing for solid money and getting treated like the promoter gives a crap about them. 
and not just their wallet. That just the top bulb races just have a different feel and I race in them. So don't nobody try to convince me any different. It has a different feel. The top bulb guys get there a week early so they can get parked. They want to park on what little bit of asphalt you got. By God, I'm getting it. They call the promoter, Luke. They call them way early. Hey, man, can you can you hold me a good spot? Because I my I got turned downs on my exhaust. And if I crank it in the dirt, man, this thing gonna blow dust there. It's just every excuse you can think of. They're entitled. There's a bunch of business owners out there. <laughs> I ain't talking bad about it. So here I go. The top bulb racers, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying most of the top bulb racers are not used to being told how they're going to do it. They're used to being the one telling somebody how they're going to do it. And we just got a bunch of blue collar guys out there that's pitching tents and sleeping in the tunnel. Cause you know what? It's cool. He could have pitched that tent in the pits. What? They're going to let me go down in that tunnel and put my tent up and sleep at night. Oh, that's, that's badass. That's what I want to do. Cause I want to tell everybody that's what I did. And you go to a top bulb race and say, hey, guys, they're going to let y'all pitch your tent down there in the tunnel if you want to. <laughs> Screw that. That ain't happening with me, brother. I got a $93,000 dragster over here and my rig's $400,000. And, you know, I'm a pretty successful guy. I ain't sleeping no damn tent. So I just feel like the difference is, is the customer... At, at the WFC is genuinely excited about being the show. They are the show and there's a lot of eyes on the WFC and I'm, that's not braggadocious in any shape, form or fashion. I'm, I'm honored and blessed to be a part of it, but I, I just think that's the difference. As you said, our, our racers at the WFC, the ones that lose leave happy. And, and, you know, I mean, I got people that didn't even get any round money. We pay second round winners. And they're like, I didn't get any this year, but next year I'm going to, you know, I mean, who leaves a race that you didn't win a round at and you're already talking about next year? My God, I'll be here next year. And i tell you what, my cousin Carl, he watched this whole thing. He said, there ain't no way he's missing it next year. He'll be right here with me, saving him a spot with yellow caution tape and a garbage can. So I just think that's the difference. And top bulb racers are going to be mad at me about that. But, hell, I'm a top bulb racer. That's about all I do. I foot break twice a year. I'm a top bulb guy. So I, I know that's – and I've, I've probably been times I felt that way. I probably felt entitled to at times. That was a fantastic lead-up to your big announcement, Jed. <laughs> Which is – I mean, I don't, I don't know how you've hidden it to this point. World top ET challenge coming 2023. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my wife said that somebody come to the booth uh, this weekend and said, man, I really like what y'all are doing. Uh, y'all, but hey, I'm a top bulb guy. I'm struggling out here on the bottom of top bulb guy. Y'all need to put on a top bulb race. And Jenny said, why don't we put on a top bulb race? It's like, <laughs> uh, no, thank you. I mean, have you seen the, I mean, I, I take a beating from some people. I mean, you get four or 500 racers. There's going to be a handful of them get after you on a regular basis. Uh, I have no desire to, uh, I, I'm in the tower at a lot of top ball races or have been over the years. So I, I, 
I'm gonna pass. If if I can if I can just stop right there, that'd be good. On the horizon, next week's uh, slate is relatively light. Big J, we've got NHRA action, Division One in New Media, Division Six in Woodburn. Not really anything notable on the Big Dollar Bracket Tour. Uh, I meant to discuss this pre-show. I'll go ahead and throw it to you while we're on the air. And take next week off. No podcast. Oh, bud. I mean, if you're trying to make me mad, it didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, uh, I'm going to be out of town next week. We've got uh, Elite Fest West coming to uh, Woodburn Dragway. So uh, Justin Lamb, myself, Mark Kidd, and, uh, and our This Is Bracket Racing staff will be there the majority of the week. So schedule might be a little bit tight on my end. And um, like I say, I, barring something unforeseen, which will probably happen just because we're not depending on it, I don't think there's going to be a lot to talk about. So let's just uh, let the listener know, don't depend on us next week. Probably going to be a week off. We'll reconvene uh, two weeks from today. You know, that don't sound too bad at all, Luke. Um, I'm actually um, going to take a little brief vacation, the, the one that we shared last year i don't i don't get to participate in it start to finish but i will get to participate in it partially so uh that was going to be a challenge for me next week that i hadn't discussed with you i'm actually leaving tuesday evening going to orange beach and then uh, my wife and i will leave there thursday headed to sandestin for a work uh, beach trip so um so I, you have to leave vacation to go on vacation <laughs> Yeah, so it's something like that. One vacation I'm paying for, the other one the company's paying for. So uh, we we want to get to that second one <laughs> a lot quicker. <laughs> but uh, it's all good. So no, that that works out great, man. I love uh, I love a week off. That sounds wonderful, and I'm I'm sure uh, I'll actually need it after that rant about top bulb stuff. So that'll work out good for me. Maybe everybody will forget what I said. Nobody's listening anyway, especially an hour in. That's a great point. All right. So I think that wraps us up. Thank God. Uh, you know, Luke and I, are, we, uh, we're going to take that week off, but we'd still love to hear from you. You know, if you, if you're just getting to this show a day, two, three, four days after it's done, we'll have that week off, but we'll still be able to get our messages or we'll see our posts right there live on the, the drag racing podcast, sports and drag racing podcast, Facebook page. So if, uh, if you got something to, y'all come on, just bring it, wear me out about the top bulb stuff. That's fine. I don't care. I'm over it. Um, if you want to get on me or if you want to agree with me, either way, uh, message us right there on the, the Sports and Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page or put it out there for everybody to see. Let us know your opinion. I put my opinion out in public. Let me see yours. Luke, it's shout time. What'd you got for shouts? I will start begrudgingly with a shout out to O-H-I-O. Nice work, Buckeyes. Shouts <laughs> to the next big thing. I give ourselves a little bit of a pat on the back there, Big Jed. We called it. Nailed I it. it was, I think it was five years ago. Probably. Caleb Ellison. Nailed it. Nailed it. Shouts to JJ and his World Footbreak Challenge appearance. Yes. Shouts to you, Big Jed, and your principal voice. Yes. <laughs> I like that, the principal voice. Shouts to resilience. E. Shouts to <laughs> JJ once again for working his tab off. Yes, he worked his tab off. And shouts to the inevitable and upcoming 
World Top ET Challenge. Can't wait. That's coming in 2042. <laughs> Uh, but guys, that wraps us up. If you'd like to, to tweet us, um, definitely do that. Uh, Luke is at Luke Bogacki, B-O-G-A-C-K-I. I am at JP11X. We want to hear from you early and often. And uh, we appreciate you tuning into this show and listening this long. And we can't wait to talk to you again. I say real soon, it's going to be two weeks about more sportsman drag racing. Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss or at least reference This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th.